Money Rules or Money Rules. Here at Hold My Wealth, we are all about empowering financial success in our community of listeners. We hope you find today's topic both informative and helpful. Welcome back to the Help My Wealth podcast. At Help My Wealth, we're all about empowering your financial journey, and today we're going to do that through our topical discussion. I have with me Hamish Ferguson and David Lennox. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you, Steve. Look, today I really wanted to talk about um, property and that uh, property investment journey. I mean, myself, I'm a, I'm a buyer's agent, and I specialise in, in property investments, so that's sort of an area that, that is of interest to me and that I like talking about. Um, what are your thoughts, Dave? I mean, you, you've come from that chartered accountant background of 30 three years, you've been a mortgage broker for 23 years. So you've got you know, a wealth of experience you know, from that lending side. And Hamish, from a financial planning point of view, you've got that wealth experience from going, I've got all these different asset classes that I can suggest to clients to move forward in. So I thought while I had you both here today, that'd be a good area to discuss with the three of us. Mm. Yeah, yeah, look forward to it. Fantastic. Yeah. So are there any, any questions in particular that you would want to bring up in regards to property or any topics that you think are relevant currently now? Mm. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very happy, sorry to interrupt, uh, to talk about the structure of an investment loan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in our sort of history, we've really become specialists of people that want to build a property portfolio and yes. how finance plays a massive role in that. So we're very experienced at dealing with sort of aspirational portfolio builders, if that's the terminology. So that's the area I want to talk about is people who are looking to go on that journey and And, how they finance it. And Hamish? Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, property has typically been an area that most financial advisors have struggled to um, to speak into, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but, you know, being like Dave and having a mortgage-broking side to the business as well, um, we've really tried hard to, um, to bring that into the conversation, to be able to talk to people about how does property um, fit into all of the other questions somebody might have when mm. they're trying to develop a, a, an investment strategy. Yeah. And for myself, I think I like to talk about cycles. Um, I think at the moment the, the big question is, is this now a good time to invest in property or is it better better not to? So I think that'd be a good thing to actually talk about, um, you know, at this current time. But Dave, I'd actually be interested in starting with your topic. So, you know, tell us in regards to yourself, has much changed between, you know, last year going through COVID, high interest rates now when it comes to property investment and actually creating those loans and uh, there's no real change to how we would structure investment lending and how we would uh, how we would do that. Obviously, when rates go up, um, people's borrowing capacity does slip down a little bit, unless yes. of course they've had a giant jump in their income. Yes. Um, but but so yes, people people's borrowing capacity has gone down a little bit. But in terms of the principles of how we structure investment lending. Uh, that hasn't changed. And is it the same for, say, someone coming for a first home buyer compared to someone, say, coming for their first time investment or their second time investment? Mm-hmm. Has it changed at all for those those different groups, or is it pretty much the same? Borrowing capacity is borrowing capacity, and you know, the bank is looking at it as the same. Correct. Look, we we tend to follow some fairly simple principles in terms of whether we're structuring an investment loan or a home loan. Um, so not a lot of that has changed, but um, it's all about really digging into people's longer-term objectives. Mm. So, for example, with a home loan, people tend to save a deposit, Mm. whether that's over one or two or three years and get assistance maybe from some parents, things like that. So that journey of the first home purchase is very different to the second home purchase. So 
in the example I'm talking about here, it's someone who's bought a first home and maybe two or three years later, they're starting to think about building a portfolio and they think they need to pretty much run the same race, which is to rebuild their cash reserves as a as a deposit for mm. their second property. And uh, that's certainly not the case. You know, 99% of the loans we have done for people buying their second or third property has been done without any cash injection at all. It's all about how you use the equity, how you structure the loans, how you maximise tax benefits, those sorts of things. So, so the myth that we tend to dispel is that people need to save cash reserves to buy their second property. That's, that's not the case. And when people find that out and see how it works, their eyes light up mm. before you know it, they're getting pre-approved for an investment loan. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I would say that's one of the first myths that, that I have to even dispel is that people come to me and say, I, I want to get investment property as a buyer's agent and they say, but I haven't got my cash, like I need I need more cash. Mm-hmm. And that's the first I'll say to them, well, actually, you, prob- you probably don't need as much cash as you think have you spoken to a professional, mm-hmm. you know, and then I can send them your way or someone else's way for them to actually, you know, go that, go that direction and start down that path. But, um, I mean, look, let's give some examples for someone. Let's say someone wanted to buy a, uh, let's say, a $700,000 investment property, you know. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are they looking at re- requiring for the deposit for that and how do they actually get it out of their home? How does that, that sort of work? Uh, okay. Now, without a whiteboard or something to demonstrate, <laughs> let's say that um, I'm thinking of the typical home purchase that might have bought their first property three or four or five years ago. Yep. Yep. So let's say they spent 800 on that and that's now yes. worth a million dollars. And they might have a $500,000 mortgage on their home yes. or less, yes. something like that. So they want to buy something for $700,000. we are going to borrow 105% of that property yep. so that they don't put any of their own cash, 105%. And what's the 5% cover? Uh, stamp duties is yep. the main one. So, And that's very much a rule of thumb. Yep. So 105, that's the mass we do. So we'll do 20%. Or 25% against their home. Yes. So 25% of 700. Help me out. 175. 175% against their home. And then 80% against the investment property. Right. Right. All of that is investment lending. Some of it is secured by the home. That doesn't mean it's not tax deductible debt. I'm not giving tax advice, but that is definitely a very strong principle. Um, The deductibility of a loan is not related to what it's secured by. It's yes. what the funds are used for. Are used for. So even if, if the loan was secured by this piece of paper, like if a bank would give me a loan secured by this piece of paper and I spent it on an investment property, then that lending, because that asset I'm buying is generating mm. accessible income, then that interest is tax deductible. So that's the general principle. And when people understand... Um, how much of the investment property cost is sort of deductible in terms mm. of the tax man helps, uh, they're very surprised in terms of how little of their monthly cash flow they need to actually allocate to owning that second property. Yes, yes. And so I, I guess, um, you know, from your point of view, and Hamish as a financial advisor, please weigh in here as well. So someone needs to have, you know, at, at least that, 175 in, in equity in their in their home, mm-hmm. but uh, most of the time you guys talk about requiring a buffer. Not that the banks require the buffer, but from your point of view, wanting to look after your client and do the right thing by your client, you're saying this is how much I, I would like you to have in there uh, before we you know go ahead with a loan. 
what what I mean, what is your rule of thumb in regards to requiring buffers for clients or suggesting buffers for clients? I mean, when it comes to property, I guess it's having that long-term surplus in cash flow. Mm -hmm. So I've typically said to people, look, it's a good idea to know that if you buy an investment property, it'll probably cost you about $150 a week. All right, so now that, that can depend and I'm usually very clear with that. If it's an older style property that needs a lot of maintenance, mm-hmm. it might be more than that. Mm-hmm. If it's a, a newer property or a, you know, a jewel key or some of these um, types of investments that have been done recently that are a little bit stronger on the yield point of view, then it might be significantly less than that for the first you know five years at least. Mm-hmm. But when you build into the long-term things like hot water systems blowing up, needing new carpet, things like that, that $150 a week um, as, as, a, as a rough rule of thumb is just usually where I'll start. Now, I'll be honest, with interest rates the way they are at the moment, I've probably been trying to re-sort of gauge that. That might be a little bit out of date, that figure, and and, and this is where it's really important that in those initial conversations, you know, you, you can't get into that because you mm. haven't even found the property yet. That's right. All right, so, but it's more just starting that education and understanding for the person to go, uh, all right, well, wait a second, when I see all of these ads talking about cash flow property, I just have to be careful with that because it's not always the case all right yes. so yeah does that answer the question yeah yeah totally 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 would you would you agree yeah, with that? totally mm. yeah um, so the idea being is that you've got yourself um you know some money in your house that's equity that you can borrow against and then you've got yourself some cash reserves that that can be used there to pay for extras and you know if the mortgage needs to be paid out of that if the rent's not covering it all and so forth and once you've got those two things balanced then you're ready to, to come and talk to a professional and move ahead. And it's not just $150 a week today mm. or, or whatever that figure is that we agree on. It's, it's wait a second, you're going to buy property, all right, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would label property as something that you should be buying with probably a 10-year time horizon. Right? Yes. So, you know, if you're a young couple and you haven't even started having kids or anything like that, well, you've got to think through those things and go, wait a second, can I maintain that level of contribution for a significant length of time? It's not, yes. We're not just talking three to six months here. Mm. So, you know, they might want to upgrade their home. You know, that might upset the apple cart a little bit. There's a whole range of things that you've got to think through just to make sure that the client's expectations are set right. Mm. 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 So, Hamish, in regards to your question, what were you wanting to, to bring up today? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, like I, I I must admit, if you said to me, is there any time that's not the right time to invest, I would I would say no. You know, we've got to take that statement with a grain of salt, all right? So, so even right now you look at it, you know, Places like Sydney and Melbourne, you know, and I think Brisbane as well, the property prices might be coming back a bit. You know, you know, I think uh, there's a famous investor that once said that the time to buy is when everyone's selling and the time to sell is when everyone's buying. So you've got to go against that inertia sometimes and say, well, wait a second, uh, if, if I make the assumption there's always opportunities out there, then there's never a bad time to buy, all right? Mm. So it's more just a matter of then saying, well, what do I need to be prepared for if I'm going to invest at this current point in time. And that's to me where there's probably two things that as financial advisors we think about a lot. One is risk profiling, which I'll explain a little bit more in a second. And the second one is our time frame or, or the horizon that we've got, which is sort of related. So, you know, the concept of risk profiling is saying, are you the sort of person that can um, cope with what sort of bumps and bruises along the way can you cope with when it comes to investing? Mm. All right. And, and again, you know, it'd be lovely to have a whiteboard at this point, but, you know, we typically 
think of you know a stock market graph or, or things where we go we see this almost roller coaster ride where proper you know whatever the asset we're buying can go up and down over time all right and so so the growth orientated investor or the person that's comfortable with borrowing to invest usually doesn't get worked up with you know the the, the daily movements or whatever happens with that asset mm. so that could be you know um, uh, you know the, the number of times if you've got your super you jump on and have a look at what the balance is if you're the sort of person that jumps on and looks at it daily right then yeah you've got to be careful that you you, you jump into an investment at this point in time because it's probably going to really stress you out. And the problem with that stress is that it's much more likely that if you have a, a bit of a dip along the way or if something goes wrong, you'll jump out when you're not when you shouldn't. Mm. All right. So whereas the person that has more that growth orientated, that long term horizon that says, you know, I'm happy just to do it invest the money, yep, comfortable with that 150 bucks a week, Hamish, I'm not even going to look at it, you know, like, and, and they can actually genuinely do that, then then um, that's, that's they're the sort of person that, that probably should jump in now and say, well, what opportunities are out there, right, if I've worked through that process of establishing that I'm, I'm ready, mm. all right, so... So that risk profiling, um, you know, is quite important to think about for the individual. Um, I'll jump in with, with a little bit with the question that I was going to bring forward, which is that idea of cycles because you've, you've brought that up. And I think that's really important. People always say that, you know, it is now a good time to invest in property. And uh, from a buyer's agent point of view, the, the answer is always yes. Uh, the question is where, you know. Um, I probably wouldn't be buying in, in, you know, Sydney or Melbourne right now. Uh, it's probably not an area that I think is going to, you know, be, be good in the in the short term um and when someone comes to you with if we use that example of seven hundred thousand dollars that's what i've got that's what the bank can loan me it's about going where is where's the best bang for your buck you know you could spend that in sydney you could spend that in melbourne or you could spend that somewhere else and let's look around australia and see what suburbs what cities what areas are going to actually you know be the most effective for you and is going to actually give you that that high yield you know and that high equity growth long term so here's an example that i usually run past clients that that sort of i don't know put a little bit of question to that sort of philosophy mm. all right so so let's say you live in and we'll use new south wales as an example you live in hornsby all right so you're on the cusp and you've got uh, and you sit down with a, a property person and the property person says, okay, so we could find you something, um, you know, on the central coast and it might cost you 800 and, and you can get a loan for 800 at the moment or you can buy in Perth, right? And I'm just purely picking Perth at the moment because it's the furthest distance away in, in Australia, right? Mm -hmm. So not because it's the right place to buy or anything like that, right? That'd be your job to do, Steve. So, and that, let's say we looked at all the data, Right, and it said that if you bought on the central coast tomorrow, all right. So all the data is saying the best you're probably going to get is probably five, five and a half percent if you hold onto the property for a ten-year basis. Mm -hmm. Right. We go to Perth, right, and Perth is looking all the up and up. All the right metrics are in place, and we reckon that the numbers are showing probably a, a, a seven to eight percent return over the next ten years. Mm -hmm. All right. So the question is, what would you go for? All right, so, and it's surprising how many people would say, I'll go the Central Coast. Yeah. Hundred percent. All right. So, and 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 so that where concept, it, it's this mix between, um, you know, what the person is comfortable with. Yes. Because if you pick outside their comfort zone, um, you know, there's a, again, it's there's that higher chance that if the market doesn't do what they want, they get four years down the track and go sell. Yeah. All right. Because 
I, I don't understand Perth and there's all of this, um, you know, vagaries around that area or whatever. Mm. Whereas if you'd just gone for the what I know, all right, and 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 picked the central coast, all right, mm. so they probably would have still been holding onto the property because it's something they would have been more comfortable with. Yeah. So it's getting this balance between what the individual um, is comfortable with and what the science shows yes. is, is part of that journey of getting the property right. Because, look, no one has a crystal ball. No one can tell you this suburb or this city is going to be the best one in five or ten years' time. All we can do is take the data, take the metrics and go, look, as far as we can see from the data we've got today... This is where you're going to get the most effective bang for your buck, you know. But I would agree with you. It's amazing how often I've got to talk to someone and I've got to not talk them out but but suggest and talk around why they want to buy in the suburb next to them, mm. you know, or like you said, half an hour away from them or, or something like that. Um, you know, and it is very much about comfortability. It's very much about seeing the asset, being able to see it. And, and, I, and I said to someone one time, you, you, how often, you know, will you – do you think you'll drive past that asset? Oh, I don't know, maybe once a year? Okay, because you know you can't go there, you know, without giving written warning and all the rest to the to the tenant. So it's not like you could just turn up and walk through the house and have a look in the backyard. Mm. So I said, okay, so so once a year, and you're going to drive past. Yeah, so you're not going to go in and sneak around? Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. <laughs> right, so let's say you did do that once a year. Uh, how effective is that going to be to know whether it's, Rent's being paid, is there holes in the wall, is the grass being cut? I mean, it could be long when you drive past or short when you drive past it. It's not telling you too much. Mm -hmm. The person who really tells you how, how it's going on is your, is your leasing agent. Mm. You know, they're the ones that are going in there regularly. They're the ones you're paying to actually say, hey, Dave, everything's, everything's good. Mm. You know, so the important, the important choice here is not whether you want to buy half an hour away from you so you can drive past, but is the leasing agent you're getting uh, an effective, good, right, ethical, you know, leasing agent is going to do the right thing by you. And that, and that sometimes can get tricky as well because, again, if we look locally, well, if my property manager is not doing a good job, uh, it's really easy for me to drive around, pop into three or four different real estate agents, talk to people and all the rest of it. But then, you know, if I buy interstate, all of a sudden I'm relying on a different thing. Yeah, I can ring all of these people, but it's a lot harder for me to use my existing network and professionals and things like that. So I'm not saying don't buy into state. What I'm saying is that the education and the understanding that you go through to help somebody understand this is what this journey looks like. Yeah. All right. So I think it's it's just really important. I would say 85, 90% of my clients have to go through that journey before they're willing to buy into state. There's very few of my clients that go, hey, can we please buy into state. I want to, wherever, wherever my $700,000 is going to best work, go for it. Mm. So there's always that journey of actually educating, uh, talking through the issues and, and seeing, I mean, because look, in the end, if they want to buy around the corner, we can buy around the corner. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to be as effective for them. That's why I always say to them, look, understand, this isn't me going, don't buy here, don't buy there. I'm getting the same money wherever we buy. I'm just trying to do the best thing by you. Look, we've had circumstances and I declare a conflict here because uh, part of the vision group uh, is vision property investment, which does help people um, locate. So I declare a, a conflict. Um, but uh, the reason we've got into that is we did find a trend that people were allocating more of their time to working out what computer to buy, what uh, car to buy, rather than like when they had wanted to enter the property investment, they might have spent a couple of hours, you know, searching on the internet or they might have got caught up at a, a property investment seminar mm. 
and they have made a decision within hours mm. of, of what to spend six or seven hundred thousand dollars on. Mm. Uh, you know, a high density one bedroom unit out at Parramatta, or or I'm not talking against Parramatta. I'm just saying that. that uh, so my business partner Matt and Hamish, you're probably the same. When people turned up saying, "I want to buy this investment property," we Matt just started asking the question, "Why? What is it?" Mm. And that conversation and researching the psychology that you're referring to, Hamish, and you, Steve, uh, led to all sorts of areas as to what it was that drove people to make such a huge decision, mm. right? Now, if they did do that, you know, property has been so robust in most locations is that people have had not such a bad result. Now, some people have had bad results, but... Um, certainly now is the time over the last five years to sort of get those decisions right. I mean, it's always important to get that decision right, but people have been buffered by the overall generic property market growth. Um, but in terms of one of the psycholo- psychology points you bring up in terms of location and people getting used to interstate is what Matt found. Um, of course, growth and yield very important and yield has certainly become more important uh, is that people wanted to do something a little bit more interesting. Mm. So if they've got 700000 that they, they can invest in Bondi in a rundown one-bedroom unit out the back of the beach in an old apartment block, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and, and actually 700 wouldn't get you that. Uh, people might. I was be, thinking in my head, yeah. where, where is that? I want to yeah. <laughs> find that one. But there is a, there is a theory in, invo- in, in investment lending mm. world and tax deduction world is to get something new, um, provide some advantages, not necessarily um, the thing to do, but it is gen- generically um, better to buy something new, less maintenance, more tax deductions, et cetera, et cetera. And people are interested in that. So getting a new apartment in Sydney in those areas is way more. So people were more interested in building their own thing, mm. right, building building a house or a duloc or a duplex, whether it's in Queensland or somewhere. You're just doing something a little bit more interesting and people psychologically felt as though they were getting more bang for their buck because they're building a house um, or doing something less density, less... No, anyway, we, we have found people very open to building their own thing at those price brackets because we found people coming to us with a budget of six, seven, eight hundred thousand really didn't know what to do. So they just went on the internet and did the first thing. And I always say it's about good, better and best. You know, you, you could buy a good property by yourself and over time hopefully it does well. But the question comes is, could you have got a, a better or best property? Mm. You know, mm. uh, in the end, um, that's the money you have once you spend that, that's the asset you're committed to, you know what I mean? So uh, take that little bit of time mm-hmm. and, and work out which is the best way to go. Now, Hamish, I interrupted you with my with my cycle. So where were you up to with, with the question that you're answering? Uh, look, um, you know, so if, if, we, if we took the risk profiling um, aspect to this and said, okay, the person's suitable to invest, right? Mm-hmm. So, and... You know, and and part of that is also about the borrowing aspect to it. You know, is, is borrowing to invest a good thing for that person or not? So then the second part of that journey is then saying, well, let's talk about the different asset classes and determine which one we think is more suitable for you, all right? So, um, and, you know, so when we think about that, normally what I say to people is, look, whether you want to talk about property, shares, business, whatever it happens to be, they're all tools, 
All right, mm. they're all tools that we employ to get us to a destination. Mm. Right, so, and 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 so we have to work out which tool, you know, or which tools um, the person needs. And and I actually think that both of them have their, their place in 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 somebody's investment strategy. Right, you know, but there's going to be some seasons of life where you know property may be more suitable because of where they're at. Right, mm. um, and there's going to be other times where you know it might be that they need to look at uh, you know shares or managed funds or things like. Like that mainly because they the shares can be a lot more um, flexible. Mm. So property can be, um, you know, it, it's a little bit more rigid in terms of once you do it, mm. you're in. You know, so and it's a long-term game, and you can't take part of it out or anything like that, or it's very hard to. So it's 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 just trying to get into that. Okay, do you understand what you're getting into and what the the, the personalities of the different investments are? Mm. Um, so, and you know, I like what you talk about in terms of Dave saying, oh, our clients tended to want to do something a little bit different because I do tend to find that no matter um, you know how people want to invest, is that there is this. Um, to an extent, there has to be a level of, uh, I don't know if this is the right word, but almost enjoyment that comes out of it. You know, like it, 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 there's a satisfaction, right? Satisfaction might come from, well, it's going up in value, all right? Mm. So, but it also could come from, um, you know, somebody investing and want to be investing in ethically, all right? Mm. So, you know, in terms of shares and managed funds, right? It could be that, that you know, I remember talking to a client recently that actually deliberately wanted to get into property. Well, if they got into property, they wanted to do it at, at, at affordable renting, all right, because it, it had a, a better feel-good aspect to it that they didn't want to be seen to be the, you know, the rich landlord, you know, milking the poor person for every dollar they had. So so actually investing in something that actually had lower rents was more more attractive to them. So, so they're all things that can actually add to the value of what the person's doing as well because there's that contribution to society almost and personal enjoyment and not just the return on investment. Um, but sometimes that can be a tricky part thing to unpack as well and really understand the motives for why somebody wants to invest. And look, that's really important for, for me when I talk to my clients as well because, you know, uh, you get someone come in and say, oh, I want to get an older house that I'm going to do up. I'm going to put a granny flat in the backyard or I'm going to subdivide or I'm going to do something with it. The first question you've got to say is, how willing are you to, mm. to do it up? Mm. It's going to take a while. Mm. There's a lot of work here. Mm. You know, are you a handy person? Mm. If you're not, are you willing to pay a lot of money for handy people to fix it up? Are you talking about people that flip properties? Yeah, yeah, flip do or, it up. And, or, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a very, very, um, it's a very unique skill that requires a lot of experience and, yeah. um, and it has to be the right time too. It's got to be the right time, and you the know? person has to have such a strong understanding of the cost of doing yeah. it up. Yeah, that, that tends to be where, if they've got a short-term uh, time frame, which most flippers. Uh, for want of a better word, have mm. and and it's a completely reasonable strategy. It's just that you 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 need to be really across uh, how much it costs. But even yeah. if you're buying it with a, with a long term view of holding on to it, I think some people don't. They they buy an older house because that's what they can get into. Do you know what I mean with the money mm. they've got mm-hmm. uh, and and the renovation costs, the 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 cost of actually doing it up and getting it to a point where it's going to be ready for to be rented out properly and, and, yeah. and at a good price. Uh, you know, it can be quite extensive. Mm. So it's about saying to someone, is that a passion for you? Do you know, are you want to? Because if you're doing this for your passion, then great, go for it. You know, if you want to get in there and fix it up and do whatever, great. But if you're doing it solely from a point of view of um, uh, profit, 
and long-term equity and, and gain, then it's more about numbers. It's about going, okay, what's going to be the most effective? You know, bring your accountant in. Uh, you know, what's going to be most effective from a from a, an accounting point of view when it comes to tax and tax depreciation? You know, bring in your financial planner. What's going to be most effective from that point of view? Because, uh, you know, sometimes people have these ideas or they've heard stories, oh, I know a guy who flipped it or I know a guy who subdivided or I know a guy who, and they did so well. And, and until you sit down and go, do you understand the cost of subdivision, how long it's going to take you, how hard it is to do? I'm not saying it's a bad option, but are you prepared for the, you know, for the extent of that? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Steve, talk to us about, you know, you mentioned before about wanting to talk about the property cycle. Mm. Um, so, you know, so what's going on in your brain at the moment with December 2022, interest rates where they are, the way the property market's been performing over the last couple of years? Um, yeah. Yeah, so when you look at um, what the talking heads are saying or the, the talking heads that I like to listen to, the ones that I feel are a bit better informed, I mean, look at where the data is at. Um, it seems like, um, and, and that's always the case, you know, I, I think if anyone tells you they know exactly what's going on, you've got to be a little bit wary of, of that person, you know, uh, because um, no one has a crystal ball as to where the future is going to head, uh, particularly in regards to property. But we do have some good metrics and we do have some good data around uh, historical figures where things are at and and you know where things are changing so look sydney and melbourne um are definitely you know off the boil in in regards to in regards to property and um every city and every suburb has a cycle you know so if we look at that um it's about going is sydney a good place to buy well it was a couple of years ago you know, it's a great place to buy is it a good place to buy now P probably not it's not where i'd put my money if I was buying it for myself or for my mum or someone else, mm. um, you know, and it's about looking at what the metrics are in that area, um, you know, what the rent is compared to the, the, the costs of, of it is for, for doing it. We talked about, you know, building a building new property and, and getting constructions. And Hamish, you mentioned some of these new ideas about like having dual locks and things like that, where actually it's a lower cost to, to provide two dwellings where you're getting two rents coming in. So it's a bit more stable. So we can do factors like that that actually increase that yield um, compared to the, the cost that you've got. But you've also got factors like, for instance, up in, up in Brisbane, uh, you know, there's been, especially from COVID, there's been, you know, a large influx of, of people moving up there, uh, both internally and, and externally. Uh, and you've got the Olympics coming in, so you've got lots of um, uh, money. I think it's about half a, a, um, a million dollars being spent in that um, southeast uh, area of Brisbane, uh, uh, sorry, southwest area of Brisbane in regards to upgrading all the facilities. Mm. And so you look at things like that and you go, okay, what's happening there? You know, that, that looks really good. And Brisbane's been excellent for the last, um, you know, two, two years, three years. Uh, but again, you know, we come to Brisbane and we look at, you know, a situation where all of the larger uh, building firms have, have gone bankrupt in the last um, couple of years. And in Brisbane, uh, you know, they're all insured, all the houses. So, of course, insurance companies have turned around and said, I've got to get these built. Who wants to build them? And so every other company has taken that up. So you've got a situation there where it's not so much that Brisbane's a bad place. Who's going to, who are you going to get to build your place? Do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's just, 
everyone's building all those, everyone's filled up. Uh, plus registered land is, is hard to find there. And so we look at things like that, we look at vacancy rates. And as we do that, we're starting to look more and more towards Perth, as you as you mentioned, Hamish, before, and um, and to a, a lesser degree, Adelaide. But but definitely Perth. Perth is uh, more and more looking like that's the suburb, that's the next one that's on the boil, you know? And again, when I say it looks like, because we're not looking for the suburb that is on the boil, that's the one that you should have bought in a year or two ago. Do you know what I mean? We're looking for the one that's heading that direction. And uh, Perth definitely looks to be uh, that area. So so for my clients and, and for my partners and so forth, when we're looking at different areas, that's what we're looking at at the moment. So, you know, thinking back to, um, you know, I guess this whole know understand the area and things mm. like that because when i think about perth you know like i have seen some of that information all right so probably not to your level but you know one of the things that i sort of think about was uh, look it must have been 10 15 years ago now where you know perth was almost as expensive as sydney yeah all right so yep. and you know there was talk of it becoming the most expensive capital city in australia yep. right and 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 of course perth's had a uh, you know, a bit of a rotten time over the last sort of 10 to 15 years in terms of then what that journey is. So, um, you know, and, and I'm not expecting you to necessarily go into a whole lot of detail here, but how do you, how do you get that grasp of, of that story and how it changes now to where it is? And because I, I think about it and go, well, wait a second, um, it's still a capital city, right? Mm. It's still, you know, a, a city where, um, you know, there's a lot of good things happening in there. All right, so, and and there could be a lot of data that sort of suggests you know differently to that as well. But um, is that something that, that that goes through your mind when you're talking about areas like that? Yeah, I mean, look, we're looking at things like employment statistics. We're looking at things like vacancy rates, mm. uh, things like that, that that actually say to us, is that area uh, doing doing well? Mm. Do you know, uh, and you're right. Yeah, you know, Perth went through a cycle where it was getting higher and higher and higher, and people were getting paid a fortune from the mines, and you know that all that all changed. Mm. Um, and now it's going back through a cycle where the vacancy rates are, are really low. You know, it's hard to find a place in Perth. So, again, the, the costs are starting to increase. You know, you talk to people um, that go to Perth and, you know, it's very rare to find someone that says they don't like Perth. Mm. You know, everyone says it's beautiful. Uh, it's just a long way away. Mm. But if you're the sort of person that's like, hey, I'm, I'm willing to relocate and after COVID, Obviously, that's been the case because there is a lot of people relocating to Perth, mm. you know, and it's really becoming one of those satellite-type things. I mean, you go to countries, you know, like America or Europe or other places where a couple of hour flight to a, to another city is not a huge thing. For us, that mm. just seems like a lot. Four-hour flight, just, you know, wow, it's mm. just it's too much. But that's going to change, and it's going to change as Perth gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. Um, and so what we're trying to take advantage of there is, is, is getting in while those suburbs are expanding, you know, at the moment. Someone said to me, Perth reminded them of, of Sydney back in the, you know, 70s and, and early 80s where um, there was lots of areas that, that, that had to be filled out, you know, um, and there was the, the employment and the population growth and so forth there to actually take that up. And that's what we're seeing in Perth at the moment. So um, low vacancy rates, uh, good employment, um, you know, the state itself is probably the most stable uh, of all the states, you know, when it comes to its its budget and its surplus mm. um, and the way in which it's actually investing in infrastructure. I would say I haven't had a look at it, but I think uh, Perth is, is, if not the highest, one of the highest um, states investing in its own infrastructure. Mm. So when you start to see large infrastructure investments, uh, low vacancy rates, you know, uh, good employment results, then then that's a place you need to start start looking at and taking note of 
And, there, and that, that's interesting in the sense that, you know, so what you're talking about now is to bring in the science. Mm. So we look at the data, you know, mm. we look at, so you've talked about vacancy rates, you've talked about infrastructure, you've talked about um, uh, migration, net <laughs> migration. So they're all things that you yeah. know, a, a good property investment um, person is, is, is looking at. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus, I mean, that's, the, that's the macro, that's looking at it large. Then we start going into micro and looking at things like, well, okay, what's the best suburb? Mm. Do you know, let's start talking to a few agents and say, to them, uh, you know, leasing agents and saying, "Hey, if I if I could get you a house in a suburb, which which suburb would you would you want me to get your house in?" Mm-hmm. It's not long before you you know talk to a few of those. You start to work out which of the suburbs they are desperate to have mm-hmm. houses in. Uh, it's not long before you talk to them and say, "Look, you know, the cost of rent. What what would be your average person wanting to spend? What are they?" you know, willing to spend. Mm. So it's not long before you can start to work out um, you don't want to go above this rental, you know, so you don't want to spend, uh, you know, a hundred thousand, sorry, a million dollars buying a house because the rent would be too much, mm. do you know what I mean? So where is that sweet spot where that affordability line is for the average person to go, yes, I'm willing to pay that rent. Uh, you know, we look at things like um, train lines and, and bus routes and not just now but in the future, you know, and, and what's actually looking to be developed there, schools and shopping centres and, and different things like that to actually say this actually from a macro and from a micro level is a good area, mm. you know? Yeah, cool. Okay. Just to challenge you on the Perth question, mm, Steve, you know, people, in terms of things to really steer clear of with property investment decisions, one thing that comes to my mind is to steer clear of places which heavily rely on one sector of the economy. So, for example, myself, you know, tourism hotspots, you know, Cairns, Noosa, now, and Gladstone for mining, places that can go through big fluctuations of, of people in and people out. So Perth may have had a reputation over a period of time that it's heavily reliant on mining, which is one industry, but it's a really a conglomeration of many different industries. Um, do you, what, what has Perth done, do you think, to sort of um, broaden its employment appeal and migration appeal, right, not just people wanting to work in mines and stuff? Yeah, Perth looks to be um, a city that's matured a lot. So it's gone from being very reliant on one industry and it's now more and more becoming a, a city in its own right where it has quite a few industries that are actually there. Uh, I don't think you can pull away from the idea that there is, you know, a specific industry being mining that that um, a lot of Perth infrastructure is built around or, you know, employment and so forth. But I think one of the interesting things with mining is that it seems to have gone through quite a bit of a shift where it was quite heavily reliant on, on people mm-hmm. and quite heavily reliant on, um, on, on manpower and... As we've seen over that last you know, five, ten year period where there was a large decrease in the amount of people working in Perth in, in the mines, um, although that's come back, it hasn't come back like it was before. You know, So we can see here that mining has gone through its period where a lot of those mines have now been um, automised and have got you know, that, that sort of um, technology and so forth in there, uh, you know, which is always hard when you have an industry that's going through flux and change for the people that are involved in that industry. Mm-hmm. But that hard change has occurred, it seems to be, and so now we've got a situation where those that are going back into the industry are going back into a much more stable, stable environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you know... Um, even though there is flux and change in the mining industry, it, it really is one of those industries that it, it's not going to slow down, is it? It's going to continue on. So what, what what do you tend to steer clear of, like in terms of locations and cities? Like what do you 
Yeah, so for me, um, it's it's about looking for areas where um, uh, you want to have some structure around how far things can spread. So, for instance, um, you know, uh, Sydney can't just keep spreading and spreading and spreading. It's 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 got um, uh, you know uh, the um, parklands on either side of it, north and south, where you can't build onto it. It's got the uh, you know the um, Blue Mountains at the at the mm-hmm. Uh, west where you can't sort of go past and so everything's sort of sort of building in the middle there um even with a city like perth uh it's about where the center of the city is you know it's about how far out from that so the further you move out the the more situation you've got where where it's getting further away people are willing to pay less money because they've got to travel more they're not willing to go out so fast it's about getting that sweet spot between you know being too far out so sometimes you find um, geographical locations in a in a town um are actually not good for that because pretty much you can go you know, 365 degrees, any any direction you want to go. So you want to be a little bit careful of that. Mm. Um, it, towns, again, or, or, or cities, again, that are very reliant on a specific area or on a, on a yearly cycle. So you mentioned Noosa and some of those touristy towns. If you want to purchase in that area, that's great. But you need to understand that there may well be a big change in your rental market from one month to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people like going with this whole idea of um, Airbnb and there's always, you know, great stories about Airbnb and, and people doing that. And there's nothing wrong with that being the strategy. But are you prepared to have that you know, large income over the holiday period, smaller income outside of that, do you know? Yes. Um, but, but for me, um, looking at vacancy rates, looking at influx of, um, uh, of population, uh, looking at um, infrastructure, what's the government spending? Uh, you know, if you start seeing the government putting in major roads, if you see the government upgrading hospitals, you know, if you see the government doing things like that, uh, that's a good indication of an area that they've already said over the next you know, 20 to 30 years and we need to get some things sorted out here. Mm. I think a great example of that was um, was actually in that um, southwestern area of Brisbane over the last, you know, five to 10 years where they spent millions of dollars in the hospital. They spent millions of dollars getting all the infrastructure sorted out. They spent millions of dollars setting up uh, industrial parks. And um, as soon as you start seeing that sort of money being spent, uh, that's when you need to go, okay, that's an area that we need to be mm. keeping a closer eye on mm. because the government's already started to see that as being an area that they have deemed in the future will be a, a key area. Mm. Does that answer that question? Mm. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, so, uh, and, and what I, I like about this, you know, is that you know, as a novice around property, you know, I would say that, um, you know, one of the benefits of city <coughs> is just that supply-demand thing. You know, mm. it, there is such a limit to where the city can go that, mm. um, that, that it, it surely, it, it it has a positive impact on prices over time. You know, mm. yes, there's that price, the purchase price that you've got to be able to be able to borrow to, to get to that. Mm. Um, but being able to pick somebody that can actually, you know, work through those numbers and mm. be able to say, well, here's what the information is telling us. You know, I, I laugh at the fact that you know, I, typically over the years, if people said to me, "Hey, Mish, here's seven hundred thousand dollars to invest in the stock market," and I just went, "All right, let's just have a quick look." <laughs> All right, um, five minutes later, bang, here's where we're going to go. VHP in the banks. Yeah, that's right. You know, like it just would have, you know, people would just look at me really strange and say, what, you want to charge me money for that? Like I could have done that myself. Yeah. Whereas that's what they do with property, you know, like it's, it's a bit of domain or realestate.com and, and off they go, you know, whereas to actually hear this science starting to come out in terms of what it means to really analyse markets and different parts of Australia and see what's going on here, it's, it's, it's just good to hear. 
Yeah. Right, so, yeah. I mean, look, the great thing with, with someone like Perth, for instance, is that it was still in a situation, you mentioned it with, with um, you know, Bondi, you know, to buy something near the beach, uh, even a one-bedroom terrible unit that you wouldn't want to put anybody in, is going to cost you, you know, a million dollars. <laughs> Whereas, uh, you know, over in Perth, you can actually get, get quite close to the beach, not too far from the CBD, uh, and still end up within that affordability line. You know, so it's it's actually got a lot of room for growth there, which is great. Just watch out for the big fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch out for the big fish. I was going to say crocodiles, but no, that's no, the territory. That's, not the <laughs> that's another cycle, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know, yeah. there's a you know being close to water now, um, close to the sea. Mm. You know, growing up and even now, it seems to be the place to want to buy and live. Mm. Um, but with things that have happened, I'm getting the question more from people as to you know, whether or not being close to the coast is as good a thing as it used to be just with climate and I'm not one way or the other, but certainly it might be harder to insure places that have sort of had some water run through it from a mm. from a weather event. Um, have you seen any change in...? Look, you know? um, I definitely am, am looking at that in regards to when we, when we especially older houses that are, that are established, mm. we tend to find councils are already pre-thinking that yep. much more than state and federal governments because, uh, you know, the federal government gets uh, mixed up in the politics of that. Mm. Uh, you know, is there such a thing as large weather events or, mm. or global warming or the rest? They, 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 they can't make decisions because it changes their whole mm. tact, um, whereas local governments don't have to get uh, caught up in that. Local governments are very clearly stated, um, this is our flood zones. Uh, you know, you can't build here. If you want to build, you know, right on the water, there's very different rules now compared to what there was 15 years ago. You know, local councils are not allowing people to just you know, put their slab right down on the waterfront at the same level as you could back in 1990, you know. Mm. So local councils are far ahead of us uh, when yeah. it comes to things like that and they're, and they're really thinking it through because, let's face it, they're the ones that are going to be stuck with it. They, you know, they probably get the first phone call, don't they? They're going to get the first phone calls. They're the ones, and they're also the ones that have said, "Yes, you can build there. Yes, you can do that." Yeah. So you're finding that um, they're, they're making developers uh, really build up the areas that they're actually um, building on. Mm. Uh, whenever you go past an estate now, you always find it's being built up. You know, uh, if it's if it's near water, you mm. know, mm. Um, they're doing much better when it comes to drainage. They're, they're doing a much uh, more robust situation in that, mm. and we saw that in the floods in Brisbane. <coughs> so. A lot of the new estates didn't get affected by the floods in Brisbane like the older estates did or the older houses did because, you know, in the last 10 years since those, you know, rules have changed, the councils have made sure that they're, they're future thinking what's going to happen, mm. you know, which is which is a good situation. So, mm. Mm. anything else you guys wanted to add to that um, journey, that property journey? Mm. I have a question for Hamish, being a mortgage broker and a financial planner. So you're obviously, uh, with your mortgage-broking business, you have an interest in people buying property and investing in property and that's how you, you get to be a mortgage broker. Uh, how do you balance out um, having the two hats when, uh, in terms of how you deal with people? Now, they may not even be a planning client. They might just be coming to you as a mortgage client, but how do you balance the two responsibilities? Um, look, one of the first things I try and always say to people is, look, you know, you've you got to ask me what hat I'm putting on, all right? So, you know, and, and are you giving me permission to actually give you advice or are you just wanting me to operate 
as a mortgage broker here. Now that might come across like I'm trying to sort of um, almost, you know, take a lack of responsibility or something, you know, oh, shouldn't I always be giving advice to clients, you know, but, but sometimes people have made a decision. They know what they've done and when people meet me for the first time, I don't know what homework they've done all, all of that time. They could have other, other professionals in their life that could have a whole range of things. And so just asking that question up front, what, what is it that you're asking me to do here, all right, is is really important. Um, and, and it creates good dialogue, all right. So and if the client says, no, I, I actually want your opinion, I want your advice, then I deliberately go down that path of saying, all right, well, let's catch up and do that properly before we go down the mortgage breaking path or, or to an extent. So um, it, it is a little bit tricky and I've had to sort of work through that and be really deliberate because as a mortgage broker, if somebody comes to me and just wants mortgage broking advice, I have to almost, well, we call it scoping it out. So um, I, I have to say, look, please hear that I'm not putting you through a financial planning process here. Mm. Um, so does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so because you, you just can't, you can't have that as a loose end and then not expected to backfire at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what I've learned is that not everyone wants that process. Not everyone wants you to, to give them advice. They've already made the decisions and you just need to let them go on that journey. Sure. Guys, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate having you here today and, um, and for everything that you've mm-hmm. spoken and discussed. Um, as always at Hopper Wealth, we're all about empowering your financial journey and we hope we've done that today through discussing investment property journey and um, talking about all the implications around that. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thanks. That's thank great. You. Okay, thank Cheers. you and we'll see you again. Bye. Bye. information discussed by the Help My Wealth and the Money Rules Money Rules podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is generally nature and it is not advice. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. It is aimed to provide a general understanding of each topic and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. It is strongly suggested that you seek professional advice regarding your own individual circumstances before making a financial decision. Help My Wealth and the hosts of the Money Rules and Money Rules podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, Help My Wealth and the Money Rules or Money Rules podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.